Welcome to The Word This Week, where we believe that the Bible is more than just words on a page. They are the words we live by, and it's pretty cool too. We invite you to join us as we read through the Bible together this year. Welcome back to The Word This Week. I'm your host, Brian Vaughn, and this is episode 16. And we've been reading this week about the life of David, and it's kind of really the second half of the life of David where we begin to see a fall, truly, in his character and in the way that he was living his life. It seems like the first half of his life, he was really walking with the Lord, depending on him. We saw uh, his character and the contrast it was with, with those who had gone before him. But now we just see a lot of darkness as, uh, as he is dealing with his heart and the way that he interacted with some of his children. And it just seems a dark period in David's life. And we see David making decisions much like we've seen in the past, how the people of Israel, instead of walking with the Lord, they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's some of the things that we're discussing today with our guests, Jim Fox and Josiah Fox, a father and son team. I've really enjoyed our conversation of of their insight of what a good father and son relationship looked like. And that stands in contrast to David and his sons. So stick with us and jump into this conversation with Jim and Josiah. Jim and Josiah, welcome back to The Word this week. Yeah, it's great to be back. Glad to be here. Yeah. uh, So both of you have have joined us before. You've introduced yourselves. But I think it's kind of cool to have you two together because you are father and son. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. And what's what's interesting is is so much of of the reading this week is interactions mm-hmm. between a son and a father or a father and his sons. And um, I appreciate the the relationship that the two of you guys have, and the fact that you get to work together. So that's kind of very cool. grateful. Yeah, it's a sweet gig. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to. Uh, throw out a question to you guys. Um, How has uh, your own relationship as father and son or as son and father, how has that in your relationship, how has that impacted not only your faith, uh, but also maybe the way that you read the scriptures? Man, I'm just, I'm grateful to have genuine fellowship with my, my children. You know what I'm saying? They walk with God and it's such an encouragement and honestly such a challenge. Just their, uh, I mean, just the depth of their relationship at their age, you know, even even though I didn't really come to faith till I was 21, just to see where they're at in their walk and the way they're pursuing Jesus and the way he's called each one of them is an absolute, complete, overwhelming joy. And, and I'm grateful that we get to have fellowship, unlike maybe some of the people we read about today. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, for me, it, really if allows me to step into the stories more like I remember even in like middle school and high school reading some of the stories we were reading this week and being able to picture my dad. Mm. Like, oh, David's a, a man after God's own heart. Like, that's like my dad. And like, David likes music. My dad loves music. Like, <laughs> and he's a warrior. My dad's a warrior. Like, I could, <laughs> I could so easily step into the story and start reading things of good men and mm. reflect and go, and that's my dad. Yeah. And it gave me a standard of what it means to be godly. And so as I read scripture, it wasn't like, well, you know, you can kind of pick and choose what you want. 
it was like, no, like the godly man in my life has these things. Mm. And now I know where he found them from. Like I, I have something to follow too. And it, to me, it gave affirmation to scripture. Yeah. That's really cool. What would you say to someone perhaps that, that didn't have what you had growing up? You know, they didn't have an example of a godly man as a father. And sometimes that really impacts the way that they view God, the father. Yeah. First, I'm sorry. It's, it, unfortunately, I think I'm the minority experience mm. um, when it comes to that kind of man figure. But don't lose hope. There's a reason why we have Jesus and a reason we, we have God. And, and the reality is he has something more beautiful for you than you could ever imagine. So maybe it's a little bit harder for you to imagine it than me. But it's there for you just as much as it has been for me. So go after it and, and be willing to trust the Lord that he has something bigger than any reality you've yet to experience in your life. My father didn't have that. Mm-hmm. My grandfathers uh, weren't men who pursued God at all. And my dad uh, came to faith at 12 years old and has had an unbelievable driving passion for the least of these, for kids who are coming from a rougher background, who have been through the types of things that he went through. And he has been like a surrogate father or a father figure to thousands of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, just like almost Andy Griffith in the flesh, just just loving kids so well and uh, being that father figure to them, helping their families fix their vehicles and taking them skating and hiking and all those things. And my dad didn't have uh, a person to to fill that role for him. I believe that as my dad pursued God, God mm-hmm. taught my dad how to be a father and, yeah. and it changed my brother and I's future. It, it broke the chain, the cycle uh, in his family for, for him and for us. And began a legacy of faith. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And he's not like a Bible scholar or right. he, he'll even say like, I'm not, he said, I'm not good with remembering scripture. And I, I read sometimes, but he really like struggles with that aspect of it, but he knows God's good. Mm-hmm. Like his faith isn't anything super complicated and he serves people well yes yeah he lives it out that's so cool how he's he's allowed the hurt from his past to turn around and and be a blessing to others yeah he's been picking up kids on a bus for uh over 45 years that's amazing every sunday morning that's so cool and josiah as we were talking uh, i remembered that uh you now uh, have a little different perspective of what it looks like to be a father. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a baby girl. I have like Woo-hoo. a, I have a 15 day old child at my house right now. Love you, Eleanor. <laughs> yeah. Eleanor Kate. She's that's, beautiful. That's amazing. Has even just the short time with her, has it impacted the way that you view God as father? I don't think it's deeply impacted it yet, but it's getting there. Last weekend, I had the first real moment that it affected me where like my granddad and his brother were up in town and we were all, and my dad was, we're all in the kitchen talking (laughs) and I was just looking at these two old dudes that are just good men, changed multiple generations Mm. lives like forever and just had the thought of like, how do, how do I get there? in 50 years like what do I have to start doing now to get there 
Um, and I think that that thought already has turned me to scripture, but it'll begin to deeply affect the way I read. Yeah. As I think about our kids and how each one of them has really lived up to the name that God put on our heart for each one of them, mm. not that you're super spiritual to give your kids biblical names or yeah. anything, but that's just kind of where God took us and put certain things on our hearts to pray for our kids. And I'm grateful that each of them is doing that. And Josiah has lived up to his name just to be so passionate about God's word and to point people towards God's mm-hmm. word and, and to really teach teach it so clearly. Yeah, and, well, and I think that's a, a, a great example of speaking life and and blessing into our kids, you know, that if we give them the opportunity, they they can live into that, you know. I think that's cool. But talking about reading through Scripture and fathers and sons, a big section of what we read this week, we see the interactions between uh, David and and his sons, and there's some pretty dark stuff in there. As we and there were some there are some other things as well. So as we begin to think about what are some things that have jumped off the page to you this week as you read. I just think about, you know, as they as it begins with this prayer of of David, you know, about uh, creating in me a clean heart and, and renewing a loyal spirit within me. You know, just seeing his his brokenness over the own his own mistakes, his mm-hmm. own errors, and the, his own sins. He 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 was uh, he was wanting to be in fellowship. He was wanting to be in a right relationship with God. He was desperate for that. I mean, there's just not a better prayer, hardly in the Bible that just points to his desperation to, to, you know, have God restore the joy of his salvation and, and uh, to not reject a broken and repentant heart. He says that God won't do that. And, and so we see that even though he continues to fail throughout this, this reading, uh, Mm -hmm. this week, uh, he, he's coming back to God's faithfulness and, and owning up to his own sins and, and begging for God's grace. And it's consistently there. Yeah, and you're talking about uh, Psalm 51, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to just read some of that? Sure. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they'll return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. 
then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Thanks for reading that. As as you guys hear that, what do you see in there about David's relationship with the Lord? It's really intimate and honest. Like he says, God, you require honesty from, from the womb. And what he's repenting of is failing to be open and honest in one moment of his life and just speaks volumes into the the confidence he has with his in his walk with God that was built over wandering around the wilderness, running from enemies, having the opportunity to take things into his own hands and say, no, 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 I'm going to trust the hand of God. And there's a moment that he didn't do that. And he says, oh, what have I done? And he just sees the anchor of his relationship. Right. And that comes in context after he's essentially taken another man's wife Mm -hmm. and had that man killed. Mm -hmm. And God uses... uh, Nathan, a prophet, to to speak into his life there. And at that moment, David becomes repentant, right? Yeah. And so we think that this psalm comes uh, as, a, as a response to that moment. But then we see there's a contrast then going on in the rest of David's story that really seems like he turns away from, from this moment. But in that moment, he, he, he sees really clearly and understands the character, you know, the nature, the, the goodness of God in that moment as he's crying out to him. Yeah, I found that it's really interesting because he, he clearly knows how everything works. And even throughout this whole section this week, there are several characters that go, you, you, there's nothing hidden from you. Hmm. It says you're like the messenger of the Lord or the angel of the Lord. No. It says, you know good from evil. You know good from bad. You have wisdom. So do what's right. And he's constantly complacent. As we think about what's what's kind of sticking out to us, Josiah, what, what's sticking out to you? I think really practically how David time and time again, at every major moment, he does the same thing that got him into trouble to start with. Second mm. Samuel 11, David's like false story opens saying, and when... And the time when kings went out to war and David was at home, the king was at home, just hanging around the house. As each moment comes up, David's complacent. Hmm. It comes to, so that moment he's complacent. The next thing that happens is uh, Amnon or Amnon, his son uh, rapes his daughter and he gets angry and does nothing about it. Yeah. Then his other son, who is sisters with Tamar does something about it. And then there's a whole lot of stuff that goes down, but then he brings his son back and then just never talks to him. (laughs) And his son has to set someone else's fields on fire to get their attention. David doesn't do anything. And then his son absolutely finally dies because David says, surely I'll go out with you to war. And then people say, no, 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 you stay here. And so then he stayed in. Mm Instead of being the king that went to war, he stayed in and then his servants directly disobeyed his orders and killed his son. So all of David's consequences seem to come from the fact that he knows good and bad. He knows right and wrong. He knows how the Lord sees things and then chooses not to do anything. Hmm. He chooses just to sit back and not do what's hard. And it just brings destruction. Yeah, which is such a contrast from 
what we've read the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Because the things that were sticking out to me were David's character along the way yeah. mm-hmm. in contrast to Saul's character. Yeah. It's just, it's sad, really. You know, I think that's, it made me sad to see from this point of, um, Josiah, I think you, you've said before, I've heard you say before, it's almost a picture of, okay, the incident with with Bathsheba and with Uriah, that's kind of like the beginning of yeah. David's fall, yeah, so to for speak. For sure. Yeah, it's like the peak of his, his kingdom, and then everything after that just plummets. Yeah. It's just like Saul's moment in 1 Samuel where he, he doesn't wait for Samuel and offers sacrifices on his own. From that moment on, Saul's declines, just a steady decline. And from here, this moment in 2 Samuel begins to just replay itself where Absalom's story mirrors David's own fall and links into things like the rape of Dinah in Genesis and um, uh, the rape that happens at the end of Judges in Judges 19. There's mm-hmm. actually a direct quote in the in those stories that line up and it, and it just shows up where both those stories end in a whole genocide and, a, and fighting and war. It's the same thing with this story and, and it just builds this anticipation of like, yeah, I think this is the end of David's line. Mm-hmm. So what's... How's God going to keep his promises? How does a faithful right. God deal with unfaithful people? Right. But in that, towards the end of this week that we read, we see, and it's it's a section from the book of Chronicles, uh, we see the section of, of David pouring into Solomon, who does carry on the godly line, so to speak, right? Yeah. And through, through whom God is going to fulfill his promises. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole point goal of chronicles like in a in a hebrew old testament it's the last thing you read mm-hmm. and so what it does is it's not trying to hide like if you read first and second chronicles you're like well how come you just hit all the terrible stuff david did and it's not trying to hide it it's trying to sh- show you one specific angle to see the story from that leaves you anticipation for a messiah just like i think it's in first samuel 9 or 10 God gives David all these promises of like, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And it, it's mirroring a lot of the covenant promises that God made with Abraham. But now it's with a specific lineage of kings that I'll bring one to rescue the many. Mm. Um, and Chronicles comes at the very end to sum up the whole story and leave you in anticipation for the one. Yeah. So you're saying when the, when the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures were put together. Yeah. The the flow of thought ended with Chronicles. Yeah. It was the, the summation of the whole story. Yeah. And left you going, oh, yeah, you've read everything, and now it's pulling it all back together, laying down the foundation to say, look how all of this from beginning to end is setting us up for a Messiah, for yeah. an anointed representative that'll go through death and come out the other side on behalf of the many. I love uh, David's words to Solomon. This is a section from First Chronicles 22. He says, My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, You have killed many men in the battles that you have fought, and since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace. 
I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and the regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or lose heart. I love those words. And they're very reminiscent to me of the words that that Moses spoke over the people of Israel, the words that Joshua Mm -hmm. spoke over. Yeah. The people of Israel. And now instead of a nation, it's a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Solomon in Second uh, Samuel 12 uh, is that God tells the prophet Nathan to send word uh, that he's to be named Jedidiah for the Lord's sake, which yeah. means beloved of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Solomon, in the coming weeks, we'll see he hits some, I mean, glowing blue hyperlinks to Messiah figures and like, Eden language and he is like David's is like the foundation but Solomon's like the pinnacle of this line of David of like oh look what it could be and it's it's fascinating but it starts right here and yeah. this these little hintings of like yeah the beloved of the Lord which is what God calls Jesus yeah and a little later in that passage David tells Solomon he says now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul Build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. And that, that just stuck out to me and and taking that and, and putting it in, in our context. I want to seek the Lord and build his temple, but today his temple is, is us, right? Yeah. Those who follow, those who love the Lord. And I mean, if that if that's the pursuit of our lives to seek the Lord, to love the Lord with all our hearts Mm -hmm. and to build his temple, providing this place where the presence of the Lord dwells kind of a shift in the way you think about how you live your life. Right. Yeah. 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 Jim, if you could, uh, thinking about all that we've read this week, if you could think about one word or one phrase that kind of sums up what we've read or maybe a, a word that points us how to apply this to our lives. What, what do you think you would say? You know, there was a whole lot of scheming and division and people trying to meet their own needs their own way. And I just love the wisdom of this woman from Tekoa that Joab sends to show David that he needs to be back in a right relationship to restore his relationship with Absalom. And, and she says something. She says, our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's his heart's desire for us to be in that right relationship that David asked for, uh, to be in a right relationship with others, to seek God first. And, and that's going to be the outcome when we will seek God first, when we will pass those tests to not take matters into our own hands and meet our own needs our own way uh, like like Amnon did and and to um, uh, to seek God's heart you know and to follow in his ways all of our life 
that's his desire for us to be in a, a relationship with him, to experience unity and wholeness in our individual relationships and with him. Jim, what advice would you give to parents and maybe even fathers specifically, since we kind of started there, started our conversation there of how to pour that into the generation coming up behind us? You know, I think honestly, the, the best thing that we can give them is to, is to lead by example, you know, and to, to let them see us truly walking with God, wrestling in our relationship. Uh, you know, it says a righteous falls, a person falls seven times, but they get up again for them to see us stumble and struggle and, and get up and, and return our hearts to the Lord, to ask for God's forgiveness, to ask for their forgiveness, uh, and to, um, just bring them along, you know, as we're, as we're doing life, as we're, as we're learning, uh, new skills together, as we're learning to follow God and serve him together. Uh, those are great ways just to, to let them see the difference that God is making in your life. I think that's going to be one of the loudest voices that they can hear. And it's what I'm praying for, for myself to continue to the next generations. Josiah, is there a, is there a word for you to build that environment? in which the presence of God can dwell mm. requires effort. Yeah. And being complacent isn't going to get anything done. Yeah. Blindly taking action doesn't either. <laughs> <laughs> but listening to the Lord, there's this guy named Jim Branch that I really enjoy reading. And he, he says the context of the universe is silence. <laughs> it was into the silence that God spoke. So any action taken without silence is an action taken out of context mm. and any words spoken without silence is a word spoken out of context. Yeah. And so I think it's so important to take action and mm-hmm. in, in deeply rooted in, in silence and listening to the Lord. I think it looks different for each of us. That to me is the takeaway of like, okay, let me sit and listen. Yeah. Let me, let me not be foolish like Saul who wouldn't listen and let me not be foolish like David who did listen yeah. and then did nothing. Right. Yeah, it's interesting as you say that so much of David's early life where we see and we talked about his character coming through, he had those moments of where he was even in hiding. <laughs> he was in caves like he was he had those moments of yeah, one utter dependence upon the Lord, mm-hmm. but two silence or where others had deserted him and he he had to be silent before the Lord. Yeah. You know. And then maybe the second part of his life, he's entered into the the height of his reign and his rule as a king, and mm-hmm. he has everything he needs. And so maybe he's he lacked that dependence on the yeah. Lord, yeah. and maybe he yeah. didn't seek the Lord, like yeah. he told Solomon. He knew he and, knew good yeah. and bad. Yeah, he knew good and bad. He also had lots of shame and guilt that he carried. Sure. He slowly, towards the end of Second Samuel, there's a guy that shows up and throws rocks at him and <laughs> curses him. Yeah. And he's with an army of people that can totally kill him. And he says, if my son who has no reason to attack me attacks me, how, how much more does this, this, this man from the tribe of Benjamin, yeah. who at least has political reasons, because Saul was from the <laughs> tribe of Benjamin, mm-hmm. if, if he's cursing me, I'm trusting the Lord's cursed me. And it's just his acceptance of his sadness. And yeah. I think that's a whole other podcast of like, yeah. hey, even in the sadness, you need to step up and listen to the Lord and do what God calls you right. to do. But, right. Because it, it it might be easier to even give in to the shame and the guilt 
Yes. And, and let that overcome us. Yeah. Overcome, overwhelm us. Yeah. Or choose to continue to take it back to the Lord, yeah. sitting with Jesus, silence, and then act out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Enjoy Appreciate it. your perspective. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been Absolutely. A Thank you so much for listening. As always, we want to thank the River Community Church for sponsoring this podcast. And if you have any questions about the podcast, feel free to reach out to us at TWTW at theriverCC.com. Or if you're looking for a church home in Cookville, Tennessee, be sure to check us out at theriverCC.com. Thanks, and join us next time on The Word This Week.